Howdy, howdy. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Grazier Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Mack. Today, you and I are both in luck. I have a farm friend who is passing through the area and asked if he could stop, visit the farm. And I said, yes, absolutely. Bring it on. And I, in turn, asked if we could turn the visit into a podcast episode for you guys. And he was he was a good sport about that. So here on site at Mac Farms, I have Alex Bates of Chapel Ford Farm talking to me, talking to you. It's going to be good stuff. So without further ado, I'm going to let him introduce himself a little bit and talk about his farm, his operation, and we'll go from there. Hey guys, um, Alex Bates from Chapel Ford Farm uh, down in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, so I'm doing some pasture-raised chickens um, and turkeys uh, with daily moves, and then uh, some Tetzel sheep uh, registered breeding stock and lambs, uh, grass-fed lambs, and I move them every three to four days and looking at expanding to some pigs in the future, but mainly a pasture-based um, grass-fed operation, uh, really focusing on lambs and intensive management. Yeah, very cool. So Alex is with me today, and I'm glad you reached out because you're actually passing through. You're on a little bit of a road trip. Yeah. And it's an exciting road trip for you because you're coming back with something. So yeah. will you tell us a little bit about that and what, what you're looking to do here on this trip? Uh, so I'm heading out to Nebraska, pick up some uh, registered ewes, trying to increase my flock. Um, getting about 15, so about almost doubling my herd size. Um, so really excited about that. Yeah. Making a few stops, obviously Eli Mac Farms here, um, and then visiting Greg Gunthorpe at Gunthorpe Farms on the way. Um, so hopefully we'll be back home by Friday with a trailer full of use. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. I'm glad you reached out to me because we've been wanting to connect for a little while, both being Pennsylvania Farms. Um, are you going to be posting stuff of this trip as you go? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be making a post, um, every time I visit somebody and kind of wrapping it up and how it went. Um, so super excited to share yeah. what I learned on the farms I visited and right, right. the trip. So, and Instagram would be Chapel Ford Farm. Yeah. Where people can yeah, find Yeah. Instagram, you. Chapel Ford Farm, Facebook's Chapel Ford Farm, um, and I got a little website um, where you can see more information about like my about me and what the farm's about. Um, but definitely Instagram, Facebook's the main social media. Yeah. Nope. Very cool. I'm excited to follow along as you make the road trip and uh, <laughs> bring back some more more members for your farm. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Um, so the first probably the first time that I saw you guys or contacted you guys was I think I was dabbling in my Regensylvania page on Instagram, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's like uh, regenerative ag in Pennsylvania, just trying to connect and network with other farmers, other producers, other consumers, just help close the gap for regenerative ag in Pennsylvania. And you guys posted a picture of Tony's butcher block that you were your chickens were available yeah. at Tony's. And Tony's is in Berkeley Springs, yeah, which is one of my favorite places to drive through. If I would go on a day trip or a weekend, that's probably where I'd go because mm -hmm. it's close enough. It's scenic. It's got the mountains right there. 
So I recognize Tony's right away, and I'm like, I know right where that is. I got to reach out to these guys. And that's probably the first contact we had yeah. back and forth. So really cool um, that you're selling in Berkeley Springs. I'm, real, I'm really stoked for you there. Would you tell us a little bit about getting in the game as far as selling to a restaurant or selling more wholesale? How, how does that play out? Are there any bumps in the road? Are there any obstacles that were hard to get over, or has it been a little bit easier than you anticipated? Um, so my philosophy is I usually wait for, like, I follow chefs and restaurants on Instagram, Facebook, um, like their posts, make my name, make it so they see me often. Um, and, but I, 90% of the time I will not reach out to any chefs or anything and let them come to me. So then I'm not fighting against who they're already buying or trying to change their mind. It's a little easier. Um, my biggest thing, though, that I've learned is knowing exactly what they want, like for chicken, knowing whether they want a three-pound bird, a uh, whole chicken, or five pounds mm -hmm. makes a big difference, especially when they're reselling it. Um, for example, Tony's Butcher Block, they want a three-pound chicken okay. um, pretty consistently and uh, because they're reselling it and they don't want that huge price tag uh, for them to resell like a $25 chicken. They right. don't really want to, they want to avoid that, keep it below 20 bucks. So that's my biggest thing. Um, but definitely don't know your capacity and how much you can raise and don't thin yourself out to where you're shorting people every week. Sure. So I've, I've heard that's a big thing when you're trying to sell like that is consistency of both inventory or availability yeah be consistent but then also the product itself yeah be consistent yeah you know so somebody like tony's they're saying hey i want a three pound bird uh, okay we, yeah we gotta try to hit the mark you know we gotta yeah. try to tailor yeah and they understand you know i'm not raising them inside they're outside so they there's some lean way there and you can be it's not so strict where it's like three pounds every single bird you know some are three and a quarter three and a half um so it's not that big of a deal but definitely, you know, let them understand that you can't raise the birds year round. Mm -hmm. um, so in the winter, they're not going to be fresh. They'll be frozen. Um, and you just got to be open about it and like let them talk about your operation. Let them know how it runs and what changes based on the season. Yeah, right. I think that's smart. Communicate that stuff up front. Make sure everybody's on the same page. And then... Yeah, do a little bit of storytelling with your farm, like yeah. especially nowadays. People people want to know the the whys and the hows behind what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. So definitely, uh, I I think kind of sell yourself on that point, mm -hmm. telling the story of your farm. Very cool. And then you guys do some online sales as well, right? Yeah, so do some online um, sales where you can buy online and you can pick up at uh, the farmers market we're at in Gettysburg, the um, Adam County's farmers market. Um, kind of as a pre-order thing and you can pick up on farm, um, on the weekends and we're planning on opening a farm store, um, in the near future with, um, awesome. self-serve just waiting on some County paperwork, yeah. <laughs> government forms and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the online sales has been really good. Um, for us, the invoicing for wholesale, um, there's private wholesale prices on there that, restaurants and stores can see um so i've really enjoyed the 
online aspect. Um, I use Barn to Door. Okay. And they yep. manage all that and manage yep. the website. So the hardest thing about it's just it's time consuming getting it up and running, putting all your products in, prices, gotcha, pictures. So that's the biggest thing. But when it's up there, it's twenty four seven employee. Yeah. So very cool. Very cool. That's something I haven't dabbled in yet is anything online. And you guys know I'm I'm not an online kind of person, so it's it is a struggle, and I'm working to get there. So I'm always eager to talk to folks who are doing it, and they are selling online, and and hear just kind of how how easy or hard it may be for them. Um, so that's good to know. Good to know. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is a few weeks back I saw uh, you had mentioned there was a film crew that had been at your farm, and they're doing a larger product, or I'm sorry, a larger project. And I think they were wrapping it up, but they were bouncing mm-hmm. around to farms, right? Yeah. So they traveled cross country. Um, they went out west first, and then we were their last stop, actually. So they're from Ohio. Um, can't remember what college, but they were college students doing a college project, um, telling America's story a little bit, and telling it was more focused on like farm policies, um, government policies, and the disconnection between washington and the farms gotcha. out in the country um so they just finished up their project um and you can read everyone's interviews um and how they compare um so it's on megedwards.com um and it's the farm part farmer's parlor project um loved how it turned out okay. super the map was super interesting um and really enjoyed working with them and having them okay. out. Awesome. I'll put uh, I'll put that stuff in the show notes. I've always wanted to say that. I'll put that in the show notes. It sounds so official. When yeah, I hear yeah. Say that. Yeah. I don't actually know how to do that yet, but I'm gonna put it. <laughs> I'm gonna put it in the show notes. Um, that'll be really cool to check out. And very interesting project for them to do. I think it's pretty timely. You know, it's uh, it's some important narratives to to see and to watch and to hear from mm-hmm. folks. So. Very cool. I love that you guys are involved with that. Um, and I guess right now, will you just kind of walk us through a typical, I don't know, day or week, whatever whatever the cycle seems to be for you, chore-wise, just so we can get a bird's-eye view of how your farm functions. Um, so you've got, you've got chickens, you've got sheep. Are we doing a leader-follower thing? Mm-hmm. How do you utilize your pasture space? And just, just go from there. I won't pin you in. So... so... Sadly, I still work full time, um, four days a week at a processing plant, um, small USDA processing plant, um, doing chickens. So my days are, you know, wake up at five thirty, feed water, um, check on everybody, let them all out, go to work. And I'm usually at work from seven to five, seven to four. Um, so, and then when I come home, it's feeding, um, moving the chickens, moving the turkeys if they need be, um, and then checking on the sheep, filling their water, and moving if need be. I've kind of stepped away from the daily moves for the lambs and the ewes, trying to do every three to four days, give me some free time because I was really stretched thin and trying to get some projects done um, because mm-hmm. my Tuesdays are wholesale deliveries and feed pickup. Um which is my uh, one of three days off. And then Saturdays I have farmer's market. Um, and by the time I get home from farmer's market, it's 
you know, get stuff ready for Sunday and for you to move everybody. So Sundays were kind of my only free day, which turned into processing right. on farm. Right. So I stepped away from the daily moves. Um, and I've noticed, I haven't really noticed a down um, negative effect besides maybe some foot health problems. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so my weeks are pretty busy yeah trying to get yeah those. no doubt you're you're in the same boat as i am with yeah. nine to five and farming and uh i'm i'm glad to hear you comment on getting away from the daily moves so i think a lot of people in the grazing world that's like yeah. this golden thing that if yeah. they can achieve they've made it you yeah. know daily move okay well yeah. the daily move isn't everything there's so many factors and and variables that go into how often do we move and yeah it's something you'll hear me preach all the time is context. What's your context? And that can even be social and time schedule. So for you and I, our context is, hey, guess what? For the bulk of the day, I'm not going to be here. Yeah. So what does that look like in my management style? Yeah. And so I'm glad to hear you say that. And I would I would coach people to, okay, st- strive for a certain frequency of moves, but don't pin yourself into it's it's yeah. daily or bust like yeah. it's it's not that kind of thing you got to be flexible about it um and i know like i'll go out there and be like okay they could be in here for another 12 hours there's some weeds i want to not weeds you know like the maybe some undesirables or lesser desirable plants in there sure um that i want to have have them target specifically but it's like where am i going to be in 12 hours i'll be at work mm-hmm. and then I can't move them. So that affects it too is right. They might last 12 more hours, but am I here in 12 hours? Right. Right. Nope. I get that hundred percent. One question I want to hear you describe a little bit would be, um, pasture utilization. So you've got different species that you're working. Are they ever in the same paddock? Are they in proximity? Does, does somebody follow another group? How do you work the different species? Is it pretty collaborative? Is it kind of segmented? How how do you manage that? Different species as in livestock? Yes. Um, yes sir. So the Texel sheep are very sensitive towards copper. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most sensitive breeds for sheep. And I think the Katahdins are a lot less sensitive. Um, okay. So they're... I can't put the sheep in the same paddock as the chickens, which is a big bummer. Um because they'll eat the grain out of the mm-hmm. chicken manure and what's dropped on the ground um, after the moves. So they're in two different fields. The chickens are in a small two-acre lot. Um, and then the sheep are in about a 10-acre paddock. Um, and then I'm going to do some spring planting next year with some annuals on a new 15-acre paddock um, that's coming out of corn and soybean. Um, and the chickens will be moving to there. And when I need that um, paddock for grass for my lambs and stuff, it'll go into a Kentucky Bluegrass Timothy Mitts, um, and we'll transition to ruminant um, Mm -hmm. grazing. So So you brought this up, and I have two questions on top of my head right mm -hmm. now. So you're you're talking about transitioning a portion from a cropping system of corn and soybean into annuals. Yes. With your decision to go to annuals right off the bat, I like because I hear a lot about uh Gabe Brown doing mm-hmm. annual stuff, yeah. you know, and 
kind of the thought process there is a lot of times annuals are the more natural way to progress mm -hmm. from reclaiming something and yeah. maybe moving more towards perennial. Yeah. But a lot of times in nature, we don't see things jump right from bare ground or depleted soil to boom, the perennial stand we want to see. Yeah. There's always this transition of annual. Is that kind of the thought process or um, what's what's your decision on, on going for the annual? So my so originally I was going to plant perennials this spring, give it three years to let the roots settle in. But after talking with some people, um, that's more of like the three year between planting and first grazing is a cow um, thing and not having them rip up the roots and mm -hmm. wasting all your money. And the sheep are a lot gentler with um, grazing. So I'm going to just wait one year. And the annuals for me is a uh, more of a soil building technique. Um, that's what I'm using it for. So summer, it's going to be a lot of sorghum sudan, sunflowers, um, cow peas, vetch, try to really build topsoil organic matter where I have zero topsoil because it was all sold sure. in the 70s and 80s. Um, and then in the fall, winter, it's going to be a lot of, I have this brassica mix, which is seven different kinds of brassicas. Um, and so a lot of like turnips, beets, um, and that's going to really try to break up compaction, improve water retention, um, and allow more aeration in a highly compacted soils, you know, all that machinery going across it yeah. every single year. So that's my standpoint on the annuals. Um, and I'm going to attempt to plant some overseed, some annuals into some perennial, uh, fescue fields that are poorer quality, uh, try to break up the compaction again and yeah. add organic matter. And I've heard some people say the shade from the annuals theoretically gets rid of your summer slump because the grasses are shaded and are below 85 degrees. Gotcha. So they're still growing in the summer. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Um, I just don't know how they'll be able to compete the annuals, but you don't know until you try it. Right. So. Right. No, I, I like hearing that from you because I know you do things with a plan and with a purpose. And so I'm, I was excited to ask that question about the annuals because you mentioned it on our, our walk and I, I tucked that in the back of my head and I wanted to make sure I asked that question. So very interesting, very good stuff. Um, the other thing you brought up and we'll go ahead and dive into it. Something else we touched on earlier was the Katahdin versus Texel. Mm-hmm. Give me, because I have Katahdin's. Yeah. I don't claim to be a sheep guy. Yeah. Okay. I'm more, more of the cattle guy. I brought sheep on for the more diverse impact on the mm -hmm. landscape. So I am very much willing to take some notes and learn some things from sheep people because I'm I'm not a sheep person by default. So what's your thought process on the breeds there? Some of the differences, because I, I do hear a lot of people when they want to go hair sheep, there's a lot of talk about Katahdin's. Yeah. yeah. And I would say at least from what I've seen, maybe not quite as much Texel. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh, or? yeah, definitely. Okay. Like people are shot, scare away from the wool sheep when they're going pasture, grass-fed. Um, and I don't think there's a reason to scare away from them. It's just management. And mm -hmm. I just want to say I am not a sheep person. Um, I've worked on cow-calf farm, 300-plus head. Um, so my passion, really, and experience is in cattle – um, and sheep are very new to me, but I did a lot of research choosing a breed. Um, and I'm very carcass focused. 
on the sheep and lambs um, and get them big and uh, really the flavor changes between breeds as well. So mm -hmm. that was a big thing. Texels are more rare, but they're very, uh, they're highly used in Europe uh, where they're from. Um, so they're very popular over there. So there's a lot of information, carcass data out there on them, which is very nice. Um, my big thing between the Tetzels and the Katahdins, or hair sheep, I guess, um, they're, the Katahdins are way more popular, easier to find. They're cheaper usually because they are easier. Um, but that they are more popular, I feel like there might be some you know, not good breeders out there that you might buy from, uh, which is, it's easier to not buy from good breeders, um, or get a quality flock. They grow a lot slower. You're looking at nine months versus six months. And I've seen some yeah. tet cells hit a hundred pounds in three months, like on full grass based, no grain. That's incredible. Um, it really is. So, but there's more management. You got to shear him. Um, if you don't shear him, uh, or if you shear him too early, and this year, with all the wet, you can get fly strike in their wool. I had one lamb with fly strike. Uh, she's healed really well. Oh, good. So I'm really happy about that. And she's actually Katahdin Tetzel Cross. Okay. And she's my test lamb. And I was like, I can't <laughs> lose this lamb because... I need a baseline. Yeah. Well, I want to... She. I haven't had to deworm her once the mm -hmm. whole year. Uh, or clip her feet. So right. really happy about her. You would say that's from the... Katahdin side of things. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely from the Katahdins because the Tet cells, they're more parasite resistant than most wool breeds. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of research at uh, West Virginia University on okay. that. Um, but they're not resistant like Katahdins or St. Croix, where it's like you never deworm the things right. ever. Right. So, um, yeah, and that's it's really a carcass standpoint for me, honestly. Now, do I pull more lambs? I think I pulled like 50% of my lambs this year. Is that right? 50%? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot because yeah. uh, they're so wide right. in the front. Right. And you can breed that out and try to make it a little easier. But, you know, I sell a lot of like lamb sausage and I need those wide shoulders sure. and legs for the trim for the sausage. So it's kind of, it's hard to decide yeah. what I want. And I lamb in a barn because um, I lamb in March, February. So... I'm right there anyways, and yeah. I got, we're slow at work, so I can leave, check on my lambs, middle of the day, see if new one's coming in heat, so it's, I'm making it work. Yeah, that's cool. Those are, those are good thoughts. Thanks for sharing on that. Again, I, I don't claim to be a sheep person, and so I'm always happy to hear some notes from other folks. Um, are there any sheep struggles or successes that you've found along the way? Um, so I had a late lamb, um, so I bought a second group of ewes and one of them was pregnant, was inspected. So he was born in April, never got around to castrating him. And that's my lesson learned on castrating lambs, gotcha. honestly, cause he's a little, um, how do I put it? Frustrating, honestly, <laughs> going through fences and, you know, teaching everyone else. So, um, yeah, definitely castrating my lambs is a big one. Um, and the sheep are, it's a lot different than cattle. More intensive, you know, you got the foot rot, 
problems, the worms, the parasites, the wool. Um, so I wasn't expecting to be so intensive on the management side, but it is. Um, and, but I love the, I like the sheep, yeah. like them more than I thought I would. Um, everyone I've worked with, uh, when I worked at cattle farms, they're all like, I hate sheep. I'm never dealing with the sheep. And I was like, okay, here I am though, with limited acreage and, sheep were a easy way to get in to ruminant farming or red meat um besides the pigs so here i am with ewes and i like it yeah and there's something to be said for how many animal units you can carry on a piece of land like there's there's definitely a profitability to size of animal yeah how many how many bodies you can put on the ground every year you know so there, there's definitely something to yeah that. i think like in a continuous system they recommend like you know one cow per four acres and it's like 10 ewes yeah. per one acre yeah your carrying capacity is different now you have different yeah. weights and different, yeah yeah but you're you're also getting more bodies that are producing more you know, more, more calves maybe, or lambs or you know yeah. whatever your breakdown and is. more manure for your fields yeah too so it's definitely right it's different than cattle and i wouldn't compare them really Mm -hmm. honestly they're completely different Mm -hmm. animals yep i agree so the one question i wanted to ask you earlier and i kind of glazed over it would be what um how how do you see your own operation uh grazing is it grass based is it soil building is it regenerative holistic what's your your take or your perspective of your own farm in those i don't know i mean they're some of them are buzzwords some of them are more meat to them you know yeah. but where, where do you see yourself in that range of things uh definitely grass-based agriculture mm-hmm. um you know and i was went to school at virginia tech for agriculture and it's very like producer focused mm-hmm. concrete barns kind of thing um but definitely the grass-based lambs um focusing on that and you know, mixing in the annual grazing, um, especially when I introduce pigs in the future, um, very annual pasture-based focused for them. Um, Not many people doing that for pigs. It's kind of forested, one spot, you know, muddy mud pools and stuff. Um, So definitely grass-based grazing. Um, I don't, spray for weeds um at all usually um unless it's like something really bad that needs to go but i i will try to like till it under or just pull it out by hand Mm -hmm. um or mow it and see how that works um so but you know it's it can be tricky sometimes you know trying to manage the especially like the synthetic fertilizers and stuff that works so well <laughs> that you can't even like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you can spread chicken manure, chicken litter, but it's like, but you know, I try to avoid it unless it, it really needs it. Right. right, and right. Yep. I'm in a weird space being like from coming from commercial, going to pasture based yeah. and you know, you know, I, I can go to the farmer's market a lot and people are, you know, cause I'm, and people are always like, oh, I hate how those factory farms are. And it's like, but I came from those and I know people care and I care for the farmers that are working there. And, you know, there's a need for cheap meat, especially in lower income areas. But it's like, you know, I, I like this, the bigger farms and I 
think the people raising them 90% of the time are good guys. Sure. It's like the companies like Smithfield that I don't care for Purdue yeah, Tyson. The, the, the backers behind it. Yeah, the Packers and the <clears> – so it's, I'm in a weird space. I get it. Yep. You, you've seen both sides, which yeah. is good. A lot of people jump in on a topic and they, they haven't seen both sides. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they don't know both sides, but that's that's really interesting. Um, and there's a little bit more of your background with the uh, grazing grass podcast with Cal. You yeah. did an episode with him and I told Alex I wouldn't I wouldn't dive into all of his backstory because he already did that once. I'm not gonna make him do that again. But he does talk a lot about that background and what he's come from, what he's been involved in, um uh, and just some of those perspectives mm-hmm. that he's gained along the way. So please go check out Cal's podcast, Grazing Grass is the name of it. Um and Alex is on an episode there with Cal where you can hear more of his background and his backstory. Yeah, it's like episode thirty something. That's what I was gonna around say. Thirty there. or thirty-three something. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere around there in yep. the thirties. So I I'll kind of wrap this up here because we gotta get you on the road. You yeah. got a lot of ground to cover <laughs> today. What yeah. T- Toledo's the goal for today. Yeah, Toledo's the goal. Um and tomorrow is Greg Gunthorpe in the morning. Yeah. Um and be sure to follow on Instagram for that because that's gonna be Greg's kind of an idol to me, um, and I really hope to learn a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a big chicken operation, or well, it was chickens, now it's pork, but yeah, big plant. So excited to see him. Okay, let's hit two questions real quick, okay. and we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So the first one I'm pretty interested in, as we're grazing, as we're managing, as we're doing our things, what are some of the main indicators you might look for or watch for to know? that you're, you're doing it right, or maybe you overstepped, understepped, missed the mark on something? And this is a tough question even for myself. What what are some of those lead indicators that would be practical help for people as they're working with sheep or they're working with chickens, turkeys? Is there anything you're looking for at the soil level, at the plant level, at the animal level that helps you kind of determine if you're on course? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So... For me, uh, the chickens is um, when I move it, I kind of walk through where they just came off of. um, And I don't want it to like cake the soil to where it gets all the manure crust over and nothing can penetrate through. Um, And then it takes longer to come back. So you got to either go to twice a day move or decrease your density. Mm -hmm. Um, And... So that's a big one for chickens. And then looking at their feathers and seeing how muddy they are and try to keep it clean. Right. You know, um, and for the lambs, a big one for me actually is if, is there lambs out of the field? Is there okay. sheep out of the fence? And why are they out? Mm. Is it because of shade and it was a hot day? That's one thing. But if it was cloudy and overcast and they're out, it means there's not a lot of food in there. I didn't move them early enough. Um, and, but you got to know your flock too. Cause sometimes, as I said earlier, I had that ram that I just didn't castrate. He's all, he's almost always out. Right. I can guarantee <laughs> it. Um, so you got to know your flock for that. Um, and then looking at their bodies and their body condition score. Are they fat and happy? Are they skinny? You know, um, may, and then, you know, as everyone says, look at your grasses. Yeah. How bare is it? I don't want to see dirt, in my opinion, when mm-hmm. I graze. And the lambs can pick up all those worms and parasites from the soil. Um, I try to keep it above three inches. But 
you got to know what grass you got in there. Some grasses like to be grazed low right. and hard, and some don't. And it's, as you said, a contest. contest. A lot of contest yep. for everything, honestly. Yep. So you got to just got to keep your eyes open and look at the little things. Absolutely. That's, I've said that before many, many times on Instagram. You got you to gotta observe. You got to pay attention to what you're looking at. And you got to ask yourself why, like you said, okay, well, if I'm seeing this, why am I seeing it? That's what's going to get you to the bottom of of what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And then our other question to wrap up, what's the coolest or most interesting thing you've learned recently in regards to what you're doing or how you're managing? Is there anything that's been like an aha moment lately that has you really excited? Um, well, so I had this field, um, and it's a hill with a bottom pasture um, that's like at the bottom of the hill. And watching it grow through the year and seeing those little microbiomes or little micro ecosystems has been like super fascinating to me. And seeing how the bottom grows and gets all the nutrients from the the um, top of the hill and seeing the bottom just like grow crazy. And I'm on my third grazing at the bottom of the hill. And I've yet to graze the top of the hill to- a yeah. second time. And that's been, and this year has been a real big pasture learning year for me. I've learned a lot about like different grasses in there and right. managing the soils and trying to break up compaction. Um, so yeah, definitely learning how to look at my field, like mm-hmm. really paying attention. And when I drive to take water out, um, just watching it is real been a big year for me on that. Um, and that's been just paying attention has been a big aha moment. You know, you can't go out there and water every day and, Oh, everyone's standing up. They're all eating. They're fine. Right. Are they actually fine? Right. You know? So, yep. Got to be an observer. That's huge. Yeah. Huge. Definitely. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad that we finally got to connect in person. Yeah. Next time off to make the trip out to you and we can do it all over again. Yeah, definitely. Um, but for now, we'll go ahead and wrap up and let's get you on the road. You got to go get those sheep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm super excited. Um, see how they look. And I've really enjoyed working with the lady I'm buying them from. Uh, she's answered all my hundred questions. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good to have so, good people when you're working. Yeah. With them, so. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. Thank you guys for listening. Um, Until next time, we're just going to sign off for now and I'll throw some of the show notes together for you. But uh, thanks for listening to the Pennsylvania Grazier podcast. I've got an inside connection that I want to pass on to you guys with this episode. Alex was talking about keeping up with the website and selling online. That requires him to upload pictures and keep prices current and all that kind of stuff. The website is a huge asset for him, but there is some maintenance there to that side of things. And as farmers, it's often more than just a full-time job. It feels like there aren't enough hours in the day for us to keep up with everything. And a lot of us find those organizational or admin tasks kind of falling by the wayside, or we delegate them to somebody else, maybe a family member, and they're not quite up to the task the way that we would like to see it done. Well, I know somebody, and I want to introduce you guys to her. Her name's Brandy, and she is the Worker Bee Virtual Assistant, and she specializes in services for farmers, 
So whether you want to improve client communication or social media presence or keep up with the website, Brandy's your girl. She can help you. Brandy provides professional admin support uh, that is basically customized for your specific farm. So reach out to Brandy, discuss some ways that she can help take those tasks off your plate and do them at a top-notch level for you. All right, so Brandy is going to offer a free hour to any of you listeners. If you contact her, discuss some of these things, she's happy to listen, happy happy to give you some feedback and, and, and to let you know how she can help you. So go check out www.theworkerb, that's the letter B, dot biz. So www.theworkerb.biz, B-I-Z. Um, I'll put that link in the show description notes as well. And just mention mention the Pennsylvania Grazier podcast and Brandy will hook you up. I happen to know Brandy personally from way back and she's terrific. And actually, after the fact here with this episode, I found out that Alex also uses Brandy to keep up with some of the stuff going on in his business. So check out the worker bee. She's there for you. She's in your corner. She wants to help you and your farm succeed the Worker Bee Virtual Assistant, www.theworkerbee.biz. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed our time with Alex today from Chapel Ford Farm. Be sure to hop over to the social media, the website, give him a like, give him a follow, give him a meat order. Uh, just just get with him and, and partner with what they're doing at Chapel Ford Farm. Just some thoughts to ruminate on uh, post-episode. He did make it to Toledo, by the way. He made it. He's safe. He's good for the night. But just some thoughts that are kind of still lingering and some questions I threw back at Alex as we're talking throughout the evening here. One of them was, how did they come up with the farm name? And he said that there's actually a a Ford site on farm that was called Chapel Ford that was used by Civil War soldiers at the time and during battle. So, the name is appropriate. It's historical. It fits the farm. It's very unique to the farm. And man, that's that's really cool. Something to be proud of. Chapel Ford Farm. Awesome. Second thought, I asked him if I could expand on a topic that we just touched the surface of. We were saying that Alex knows both sides of the larger industrial farm business and now for himself has gone in the direction of a grass-based system. And and we touched briefly on those farmers that are doing the industrial side and the need for cheap food. And I asked him if we, if I could expand on that and not pick on him in any way. He and I both acknowledge the need and the importance of quality food over cheap food. And other otherwise, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing. You know, he he obviously cares about what kind of nutrition his animals have, and therefore what kind of nutrition his customers have. We even had a good discussion about minerals, you know, what minerals he deems acceptable for his livestock and what minerals are not acceptable. So Alex is doing everything he needs to do quality-wise, health-wise. I just asked if I could expand on the thought. So we made the comment that there's always going to be a need for cheap food. There's going to be people who need cheap food. But I would just challenge that thought and challenge that paradigm for us and for you guys. So just think on that for a second. And I think the question, and I've heard this elsewhere, so I can't take credit for it, is is not why is this food or this farm or this meat so expensive? Our question should be, well, why is all the other stuff so cheap? And I understand that not everybody can afford, um, you know, custom farm 
grass raised, grass finished prices all the time, but we need to draw a line somewhere for ourselves or for our families and prioritize a little bit. And I do believe that you are what you eat. And there is a quality tier of food. Long ago, we we accepted this notion that you get what you pay for, and we applied it to every single thing in our life in our country except for food. Like, people still think and acknowledge that the McDonald's chicken is just as good as the chicken that Alex is putting out there. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the case. You're getting two very different animals raised very differently with different nutrient density. It's a totally different animal at that point. Okay, so you get what you pay for, and that includes food. So the price model that we see here, you are paying for quality. And and maybe that's a little bit out of reach for some folks, but yet most of those folks have a smartphone. We've got Dish Network. You know, I, I'm not not throwing stones at anybody. We all have our own stuff and our own priorities that we make for ourselves. But the point being, your health is in your hands as far as the food that you choose. Yes, there's cheap food out there. Yes, there are people that are are not as well off to afford some of those products, but we do choose for ourselves what we prioritize. And so I would challenge you guys for the sake of your health, for the health of your local farms, local businesses, support those guys. And in doing so, you're going to be supporting yourself, your personal health, as well as the health of your family. So maybe the food's a little bit more expensive, but you're getting a lot more out of it. Trust me. And I'm going to have some folks on the show here that know nutrition and food way more than I do. Uh, I have two two young ladies in mind that are particularly sharp um, and they're educated and they have personal experiences with, with those subjects. And I'm going to let them talk about it because they know a hundred times more than I do. So just uh, just thoughts to ponder. There's cheap food. There's quality food. You choose for yourself what you prioritize and how you go about obtaining one or the other as food for you and your family. So those are just thoughts to ruminate on. And with that, I'm going to sign off on this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Pennsylvania Grazier podcast. Go check out Alex at Chapel Ford Farm. Follow along with his adventures, especially this road trip, as he brings back the new ewes to his farm. That's going to be really, really exciting. So thank you guys for listening. Stay safe. Keep on grazing out there and let's regenerate those soils. Thanks, guys.